Normally we would dismiss the children for uh, children's church and such, but not this Sunday because we're going to be recognizing several of the kids, and uh, we want them to be here also when we recognize those who work with the kids and the, and the teens. So they're going to remain in with us, and we're going to look at the next passage in our trek through 1 Corinthians that we're on each summer. And I think it pertains very well to what we're doing this Sunday. So I'll invite you to find 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27 this morning. After you've had a chance to find it, we'll pray together and ask for the Lord to help us receive his word. The sermon will be theoretically uh, more concise than usual because we have some other things going on in the service afterward. So once you've found 1 Corinthians chapter 9, let's pray together, ask for God's help. Father, thank you for reminding us when we're either on the hill or in the valley that you're the God of both that you never change. Our circumstances fluctuate wildly, but you remain the same, consistent, faithful, good, trustworthy. Just appreciate that reminder. And Now we want to sit and receive your word, and I just ask that you would speak to us plainly and clearly, that you would enable us to receive your word and be molded by it as a church, as a people. And I trust you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for praying with me. So the question I want you to consider as we prepare to read these verses, there's a couple of verses this week, as we think about our children, as we think about our teenagers, the next generation, not just of Doolin's Grove Church, but the next generation of the church, wherever they may go as they grow up, the question I would like you to ask is, what vision of the Christian life are we imparting to the next generation? What vision of the Christian life are we imparting to the next generation? Because of our example and our influence and our teaching, how do they view the Christian life? And what are their expectations for what it will look like as they become adults to be a Christian? I want you to think about your own part in that, and then us as a church. What vision of the Christian life are we imparting to the next generation? And then we'll read these verses together. Verses 24 through 27, Paul has been sharing a uniquely Christian perspective on all these different practical matters. And in these verses, he speaks a little more generally about the Christian life in general. Let's read these verses together. 1 Corinthians 9, beginning at verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. 
There's many different ways to think about the Christian life, many different angles from which to look at it. Here, Paul presents it as a race. Presents the Christian life as a race. And not just a race, a race with a potential prize. So the first thing to notice as Paul opens this section when he says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? The Christian life is not here pictured as a stroll or even as a lamb laying down in green pastures, which is another image of what it's like to be God's people. Here it's a comp- almost contrary image. It's a race. But it's not even just a race. It's not a race for fun. Like if my kids and I are walking from the church home and somebody says, I'll race you, and we take off running, that's just for fun. There's no big prize there. But this race is a race with a potential prize. And that's really more his point in this opening verse. The Christian life is like a race that has a potential prize. What difference do you think it makes for those NASCAR drivers as they drive endlessly around that circle at the Daytona 500 that for one of them there's a potential prize of $1.5 million? Do you think that makes any difference in their level of focus, their level of concentration, their level of effort? I'm sure it does. What difference would it make if I told you the first person that pulls into their driveway after church will win $1.5 million? (laughs) Your commute home after church would look a little different, wouldn't it? I would win because I'm right there. (laughs) The Christian life is like a race. It's like a race that has a potential prize. Now, what prize is he talking about? He doesn't really detail it here in these verses, but from the context... If you'll remember the last few weeks as we've looked through the verses that led us to this, we can get some clues. You see in verses 19 through 22, well, let me back up. In the passage that led us to this, Paul was describing the way he lives the Christian life in respect to some specific questions that the Corinthians were asking. And in a couple of places, he reveals what was motivating him to live like this. And I think this is the prize that he has in mind, the motivation to run this race to begin with. It's not $1.5 million. It's something much, much, much more precious. In verses 19 through 22, we saw that he lives the Christian life the way he does in order to win more people to Christ. In verse 22, he lives the Christian life the way he does that by all means he might save some. Then in verse 23, he lives the Christian life the way he does, that he may share with new Christians in the blessings of the gospel. So the prize I think he has in mind is that people might get saved. If he lives the Christian life, if he runs the race the way he has in mind, the prize is people might get saved. People who otherwise would spend eternity separated from God and life and everything good might get saved. Now, I know I have stressed a lot as your pastor that you're saved by grace through faith. It's not of works. Nobody is saved by working hard enough. Nobody is saved by running the race well enough. It's by grace. It's a free gift you receive when you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior for the forgiveness of your sins. So you're not called to work for your salvation. But once you're saved, you're absolutely called 
to work for the salvation of others. And that's the work, that's the effort, that's the race Paul is trying to remind these Corinthians that they are in. While they're bickering about these little preferences, he's saying, remember, you are in a race, and not everybody, just because you're in the race, is going to win the prize. Just because you got saved doesn't mean that you're going to be useful in the kingdom. There's work to be done. What does it look like to run this race? Well, again, we look back at the context. We see what Paul's been talking about, what kind of living he's been trying to encourage the Corinthians to do. In verses 19 through 22, he said that he made himself a servant to all. In verse 22, he said that he became all things to all people. In verse 23, he said that he did all this for the sake of the gospel. So I think what Paul has in his mind here is he reminds them, you're running a race, is forget about your preferences, forget about these peripheral issues, and focus on serving the people around you in whatever way necessary so that you can get the gospel to them because they might be saved through those efforts. More specifically, he goes on in the following verses to describe what this might look like. Look at the second part of verse 24 and on. He says, So run that you may obtain it. There's a prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises Self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. See, athletes get this. Athletes understand what it means to focus on a worthy goal. For some reason, Christians, we, we tend to forget or disregard it. I'm not sure why. The Corinthians had something called the Isthmian Games, which is kind of like the Olympics. So they would have been used to seeing people jogging on the streets and, and getting fit and conditioned, just like we are. You see them at the park and in your neighborhoods, people running. You might see Chris Clark running by. They were used to athletes understanding the concept of self-discipline, just like we are. And Paul's saying, athletes work hard. They train hard. They control themselves. They exercise self-discipline. And they do all this for what he calls a perishable wreath. The winners of these games would get a wreath made out of some kind of vine. Now, if you cut a vine and make it into a wreath, it's going to get dried up and brown pretty quickly. It's not going to last forever. You know, we do our things that we do athletic-wise. If you're in school, you'll get trophies, things like that. If you're a professional, you'll get money. But none of that lasts. How important really is any of that? But yet human beings are willing to put themselves through agony in pursuit of these prizes that are so temporary. And Paul's saying, you are running for an eternal prize, people's eternal salvation. How much more self-disciplined should we be? How much more agony should we be willing to endure in pursuit of this prize that is eternal? They bickered over their right to eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols. And they, wanted, they wrote to Paul asking him to resolve this issue. And Paul writes back, who cares about the idol meat? People's souls are at stake. You're asking the wrong questions. You're way too passionate about the wrong stuff. We don't bicker about whether we can eat meat sacrificed to idols, but 
We certainly get distracted by peripheral things. We trifle with TV and hobbies. We get worked up about this disagreement or that. And all the while, souls are at stake. All the while, we are in the middle of a race. You hear athletes say all these inspiring things. I ran across a quote by Larry Bird, old-time basketball player. Some of you are like, old-time? In my mind, it's old-time. It was back when the shorts were like here, and the socks were like here. And he says, and this is just, this isn't necessarily all that eloquent, but it's just representative of the kind of things, the way athletes think. He says, push yourself again and again. Push yourself again and again. Don't give an inch until the final buzzer sounds. Like these are the mantras of the athletes. What are the mantras of the Christians? The unspoken mantras that our children, the next generation, sees in how we live. Do they see in us the spiritual equivalent of push yourself again and again, don't give an inch until the final buzzer sounds? Or do they hear in the way we live If it's not easy, I'm not doing it. If it's not made so easy and convenient for me spiritually, I'm not doing it. I tried to read my Bible once for 30 seconds, and I just wasn't getting it. So I closed that thing and put it up, and I haven't opened it again. I'm just not a reader. I quit. I give up. There's no real motivation, no real prize anyway. Now I'll go run and do burpees in preparation for a Spartan race. You know, I got a little bit of a toothache. I'm not going to church. It's too hard. Give me the remote. Why do we think that the Christian life should be so easy? I mean we. I mean me too. Who ever told us that? And this gets to my first question. I hope we're giving the next generation an accurate picture of what this thing is. Now, yes, in one sense, it is like being a lamb guided by a warm, loving shepherd to green pastures. And we're saved like that. We come to Christ like helpless lambs, and and he shepherds us and he saves us. But you read the way Paul writes about the the, the Christian life after that. And it is one of toil, labor, hard work, sweat, self-discipline. Not to earn your salvation, you have that, but to work toward the salvation of others because other people need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. They need people to patiently bear with them and teach them and disciple them and pursue them and pray for them and love them and, and deal with them when they're difficult and not give up. Athletes get this. Christians should get it even more. Another quote I saw said that motivation gets you going, discipline keeps you going. What would the next generation, our children, grandchildren, those in our church, what would they say is our motivation? What would the children in your life, the teenagers in your life, looking at you and how you live and how you prioritize and what you get passionate about, What would they say is your guiding motivation in life?
Would they say, like Paul, that it is in order to win more people to Christ? Would they say that it's like Paul, that by all means he might save some? Would they say that you do all that you do for the sake of the gospel, that you might share in its blessings with new Christians? Or would they say, no, mom and dad are mainly about comfort. No, mom and dad are mainly about enhancing our home, making it prettier. No, dad's mainly about working hard so you can come home relaxed. No, we're mainly about this hobby or that pursuit. No, we're mainly about this sport or this entertainment. No, we're mainly about our family. No, we're mainly about laughter and good times. What would our children think the Christian life is just by observing us? Our motivation is that people might be saved. Think about the people that you interact with, the people God has put in your life. It might be teenagers and children. It might not. It might be co-workers and family members and neighbors. You can picture their faces. Through your self-disciplined effort at praying for them, serving them, loving them, building relationships with them, they could get saved. And through our apathy, they could be damned. Motivation gets you going. Discipline keeps you going. What would the next generation looking at us think about our self-discipline? Would they think of us as self-disciplined Christians who bring ourselves under control in pursuit of this worthy prize? Would they see us like verses 26 through 27? Paul writes, So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So to any among us who have begun to run aimlessly, remember your motivation. Remember what we're doing here. Remember what's at stake. Remember the potential. For those who are running so as to to obtain the prize, who lay their head on their pillow at night, exhausted from a day of serving people, loving people, doing whatever you can for the people around you that they might believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I just want to encourage you to keep going because it is worth it. And it gets so hard and it can get so discouraging. But never, ever give up. I'm so thankful for you. I look out and I see many people who genuinely are running the race very well. And I'm so thankful for you and for that. And I just want to encourage you to keep running. I want to encourage myself to keep running. With your families, your coworkers, and your neighbors, and our community, and within our church. And that brings us back home to our main focus for this Sunday as we think about student and kids ministries. I'm very thankful for those of you who give your time and your energy and your patience and your effort to serve the younger people in our church the teenagers and the children. It's so rewarding. It can be challenging. You don't always feel like it, I know. But you do it. You discipline yourself and you do it. And I'm so thankful for that. I want to pray 
And then we've got three of our children's workers who are going to come and share a brief word of testimony. I just thought it'd be good for you guys not just to hear from me this Sunday, but from some of the folks that are working with our children and our teens. I'm going to just share a little bit about what God's been doing in their life lately, how they came to trust and follow Christ, whatever the Lord has put on their hearts. And then we're going to recognize them them all together and recognize our children that are aging up to new levels in the church. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for saving us by grace through faith, because I know we could never, ever earn it. Thank you. And I pray that everybody in here would, would hold fast to their salvation and just be filled with gratitude for it. But Lord, help us remember that now we are running a, an important race an eternally significant race for the salvations of the people around us. And the time is short, and the prize is eternal, and it is worth the effort, it's worth the pain sometimes, it's worth the, the spiritual soreness of the growth required. But I pray that you would make us a church of people who run so as to obtain it, that the salvation of the people around us will become a guiding motivation for us and that we would be self-disciplined in pursuit of it. In Jesus' name, amen.